0: Hi, my name's Alex Kelly, co-founder of Brightflag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by Lisa Lang. Lisa is VP and General Counsel at Ohio Northern University. And Lisa joins me for a remarkable discussion, charting her career journey from the military to in-house leader. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very excited to talk with you.
0: Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up, Lisa? Lisa?
1: People ask me all that time, and it's kind of a a long story. I would say that because my dad was in the military and then I ended up going in the military, I've been all over. I think at this point I would claim Kentucky as the place where I grew up. Well, yeah. Illinois, I grew up in I was born in New York, grew up in Illinois, and then spent 20 years of my legal career in Kentucky. So I guess I would uh, claim New York, Illinois and Kentucky. And now I'm in Ohio. So new chapter,
0: new chapter. Well, that's that's exciting. We might delve into your your career in the Army in just a moment. But how would you describe yourself as a child?
1: Uh, you know, I was actually just having a conversation with my mom about this this morning because I've always kind of thought of myself as an introvert, and when I I share that with people, they're taken aback and they're like, "There is no way you're an introvert. You are an extrovert." And and so I've thought a lot about that in the last few years, and what I think I've realized is I do think I probably was an extrovert, but I'm a socialized introvert because when I was younger. I was very enthusiastic, and I like to share a lot, and I think probably sometimes I overshared as children sometimes do, and so I felt like people were telling me that I needed to dial it back and be quiet, and so I feel like I actually trained myself growing up to be quiet, but I'm beginning to feel like maybe it is truly not in my nature to be an introvert I'm an extrovert and I've only recently in the last few years given myself permission to be the extrovert. I probably really am.
0: That's fascinating. And certainly um, something I heard a lot as a child was uh, children should be seen, but not heard. I was, I was, I was very chatty, probably still am, but uh, that's really interesting. And then where did you decide to attend college?
1: So I ended up going to school at Western Illinois University. And the reason I went there was because I had thought that I wanted to be a lawyer, but I had uh, a devastating experience um, in high school with public speaking. And so I thought, okay, I can't be a lawyer because in order to be a lawyer, I need to be able to be good at public speaking. And so um, I decided I would be a teacher and I applied for a scholarship to be um, a special education teacher. And so I ended up going to Western Illinois University because that is where I got the scholarship. But after a year, I ended up transferring to um, Eastern Illinois University on that scholarship. So yeah, I, I ended up actually graduating from Eastern Illinois University and I ended up not getting a teaching degree at the last moment. I thought, you know, if I don't like public speaking, Why am I going to get up in front of a a room full of high school kids? And oh, my gosh, I mean, I felt like I had just gotten out of high school. And the thought of getting up in front of high schoolers that were not all that much younger than me kind of terrified me. So I ended up um, graduating um, from college with an English degree, and um, I ended up having to pay back my scholarship to become a teacher so yeah, there was a lot of people that was probably the the first in many decisions that people in my family were left scratching their heads about, okay, what the heck are you doing?
0: And something you said there, Lisa, I know you've you've also written about was that experience you had in high school with, de- I think it was debating and the impact that had on you. And there is that kind of I suppose, conception that a lawyer is this kind of incredible, confident orator who's up in court in front of a jury, uh, just from what people see on TV and in movies growing up. And and I know you had that conflict of having a passion for the law, but then also having that challenging experience. And how did you kind of, I suppose, overcome that or, or what led you back into the kind of thinking, no, law is, is right for me and, and I, can, I can manage my kind of... Um, that experience and my, my discomfort with public speaking.
1: So when I graduated um, with that English degree, I started to think about maybe I wanted to go to law school, but um, I thought that what I would do is take some classes in the evening to be a, a paralegal. And um, I took the classes and I thought, you know, I really like this. I enjoy this. And this is the ability to be behind the scenes. So I don't have to be the one out front. I can be the person supporting the person out front. And um, so I was taking the classes at night and and working during the day. We had a, uh, a recruiter come from the military. And a, that recruiter was talking about the fact that they had positions open for legal specialists and that they were what he said was they were trying to recruit a higher caliber soldier is, is the way he put it. And he said, we are looking for people who have bachelor's degrees or who have some kind of academic training. I had been trying to apply for jobs in addition to taking those classes at night in paralegal studies. And I was not getting any headway. A lot of law firms I knew that I was applying for paralegal positions, they were not hire- they were hiring people who were like uh, executive assistants and uh, legal secretaries, because at least they had some background in the law. I had absolutely no connection or background to the law. And so I wasn't getting any of those jobs. So when that recruiter came in, it got to me thinking, maybe this is the way that I can still earn money, but also gain the experience that I need to do something that I think I want to do. So that's what I ended up doing. And I ended up going to see. And if you know anything about recruiters, recruiters will keep pounding on you to get you to do what they want to do. And even though I had that recruiter that came in that said that they were looking for these legal specialists, when I went in and saw a recruiter, they kept trying to guide me in a different direction. And I kept saying, Listen, I maybe I'm not clear. I am going to do this and only this. And if I don't do this, I'm not going into the military. So I went back several times until they offered me the military occupational specialist specialty of legal specialist. And so that is what prompted me to join the army. And then I spent six years in the military as a military legal specialist.
0: That's fascinating, Lisa. And obviously, you mentioned earlier, you you kind of came from a military family. I think you said your your father had had been in the military. What were your kind of or learnings, or what are the kind of the the experiences from your time in in the military that really stick with you now and and have stood stood the test of time?
1: You know, the one thing I think that I benefited from being in the military was lessons in leadership, and and that's something I don't necessarily think you can get training anywhere else. So I learned a lot about what made a good leader. I learned a lot about what didn't make a good leader. In order to proceed through the ranks, I had to go to a primary leadership development course, then I had to go to a basic non-commissioned officers course, and I really felt like I learned a lot about leadership, but I also learned a lot about resiliency and hard work. I had my second child I had when I was in uh, Germany. And when I came back, my son was four months old. My daughter was a year and a half old. And I received orders to be deployed to Bosnia-Herzegovina. And they told us that the deployment would be at least 11 months. And so I left on Christmas Eve. I left two children with a spouse and I deployed for 11 months. So, you know, I learned a lot about learning how to to navigate those tough times and make sacrifices, work hard. And I had to work at trying to balance a job that was very, very demanding, but also trying to find time to be able to do what I wanted to do with the family. And it was it was definitely challenging in the military. And, and those were lessons that I learned there that I have taken and used throughout my career.
0: I can't imagine how difficult that must have been on a personal level, Lisa, being deployed at that when with such a young family at home. And I suppose you then made the transition to work in a corporate law firm. How did you find that adjusting from the military, from that environment where, as you said, you, you got the kind of the best possible example of what great leadership looked like? How did you find that adjustment to working in a corporate law firm after that?
1: Yeah, it it was a bit of an adjustment. I think I was, I feel fortunate that the legal team that hired me was litigation defense in a law firm in Louisville, Kentucky. I do feel fortunate that I did get the experience there. It was a good team. I feel like I had good leaders. But I would also say just in general, adjusting to a civilian life after a military life is, A little bit difficult because you learn a lot about chain of command and you learn about processes and how leadership is supposed to work and how subordinates engage with superiors. And you learn a lot about that discipline and you don't see that necessarily. And in a law firm, especially, you don't necessarily have people who are running things who have any background in being leaders. And a lot of times what you see in civilian setting is people climbing the corporate ladder and they get it because they've been there as long as they've been there but not necessarily because they have the traits of a good leader. So that was a real adjustment and and there were some attitudes and beliefs that that confused me but you know over time I feel like I I learned how to assimilate into that civilian world and still maintain some of my core principles that I felt I learned from being in the military and made me a better employee. And no matter what level I was at, a better leader.
0: I think I might have to ask you, Lisa, to talk to my four-year-old and three-year-old daughters about the chain of command. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. Not a huge amount yeah. of uh, respect for uh, our my authority, certainly in our house, but but I, I completely understand that point you're making about the distinction between People, particularly in law firms or corporate legal departments, who might be preeminent experts and technically outstanding lawyers who, because of their expertise, ultimately end up in positions of leadership and how that is a fundamentally different skill set that may not rest easy on their shoulders very often.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well said. Agree with that completely.
0: And I'm curious because it was obviously like presumably then you're you're starting a, a new path and your in your kind of legal career. Did you have any mentors at that stage when you were back in Kentucky that played an important role in in your development?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I've been fortunate in that I have had every stop that I have had in my career. I have been fortunate enough to find somebody who has provided that mentorship. So I don't think I could boil it down to any one person, but um, at each stage I was lucky enough to have someone. And I think at the law firm, the person that comes to mind is uh, the associate that was on the team that hired me as a paralegal. And I went to school at night to be a lawyer while I was at that firm, while I worked full-time during the day as a paralegal. And I really appreciate everything that associate did for me during that really tough time and uh, I ended up working with her uh, when she became partner and I became an associate. So I learned a lot from her and um you know and and there were times when I would be frustrated and you know she would also give me tough love and be honest and she would say to me things like you know Lisa, you knew exactly what you were getting into so I understand you're frustrated but you know, it is what it is. You knew when you started this path. So, you know, buck up buttercup.
0: Well, sometimes I think that is the best form of kind of mentoring you can get is those people that are comfortable delivering the hard truths and and giving you kind of candid feedback that it may not be easy to hear at the time, but but is so important. And what practice area did you specialize in then when you became an associate?
1: Yeah, so I did, so insurance defense, but um, I, we did a lot of legal malpractice. So we represented lawyers who had been sued by their former clients. So that's that's a lot of what we did. Um, I, I did some other insurance types cases. So I defended cases where the person had the insurance and it was in a variety of areas. But um, I, I would say legal uh, malpractice was was the main specialty area that we I worked in.
0: And what's interesting there, Lisa, is obviously you were you were in litigation, an area that can can kind of necessitate obviously a lot of public speaking and and put you back in that environment that you referenced was challenging to you in high school, and 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 there must have been a tremendous sense of pride in for yourself and achievement in in kind of having the kind of resilience and determination to kind of overcome that that reluctance and and kind of follow your dream and and ultimately practice as a, as a lawyer in the way that you have.
1: Well, I don't know how much of it was pride. It was more like, are you just an idiot? I mean, you know, you're putting yourself in situations constantly that you're not comfortable with. And I do remember the very first time I appeared in court, I appeared by myself. I didn't have anyone else to come with me. And it was a very simple motion. It was like, I don't know, a motion for a trial date or something really, really simple. And I remember the other party. It was their motion. And they made their motion. And I just stood there like a bump on a log. And I, and and there was like this pregnant pause. And the judge looked at me and she goes, Counselor, response? And you know, and I I was like, oh, oh, no objection. And then, you know, I walked out going, oh my God, I look like an idiot. But you know, I, I don't know. I guess, you know, over time you 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 do stuff like that. And then you have situations like that and you think, okay, well, I survived that, so it wasn't all that bad. So yeah, I, I had some of those at the beginning of my career, but as you become more and more comfortable and you worry less and less about what others think of you, it becomes a lot easier. So, you know, I would say it, it's not so much pride as much as it was just an acceptance of myself and who I was and people are going to think what people want to think. And at the end of the day, I can't worry about it.
0: That's such great advice and so well said. And I can certainly relate to that. I think in my early early days in the law firm, any kind of follow me to kind of do public speaking or speak at a meeting or in a call, and I would be uh, squirming in my seat. And as you say, as you get older and do more and more, you become more comfortable with it. But as you say, more than, more than anything, I think you just become more comfortable in yourself. Such great advice. And What then prompted you to move in-house at the, the Commonwealth of Kentucky?
1: Yeah, so you know what's so funny about that is, you know... I have a daughter who's a lawyer and um, she has worked very, very hard to plot out her career. And what I have learned is that that really has not worked for me. I think of it as, as like being in a river um, where there's a stream and um, you kind of let it take you where it's going to take you. And you've got the oars and you can put the ore in. And, and if things aren't going in a way you want to, you you kind of pivot a little bit. So what I found when I was doing the litigation is I really did not enjoy being a litigator. Uh, I really didn't enjoy necessarily the adversarial relationship. And I was being taken away from my family in the same ways I was being taken away um, when I was in the military. And so I thought that I would give public service through the Commonwealth, the the Attorney General's office. I thought, you know, maybe I'll I'll pivot in in that direction and maybe, maybe this will be a better fit for me. And what I found when I went to the Attorney General's office, I was actually still a litigator. I litigated on behalf of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I defended state agencies. um, And I found that, you know, this whole concept of work-life balance, it, it really, I, I, I began to realize it, 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 it is To some degree about being a lawyer in the job, but it also has to do with me and it has to do with how I approach work. And so when I went to the attorney general's office, I learned a lot about, okay, I've got some control over how my day is going to unfold that was a really good, helpful way of trying to help me figure out whether or not I was in the right career or not. But what ended up happening there is I ended up uh, representing the same client over and over again. And that client was the Kentucky Department of Education. And it got to the point where they started asking that I represent them in their cases. And I got a call from the HR director who let me know that they were going to seek uh, a request for waiver from the attorney general's office so that they no longer had to use the attorney general's office, that they were going to bring in their own in-house lawyer. And so, you know, I I told her, oh, I'm, I'm so disappointed, but I completely understand. I've really enjoyed working with the department. And she said, no, you don't understand. We're bringing it in, but we want you to apply for it. So I applied for it and um, I ended up getting it. And I moved to the Kentucky Department of Education. And what I liked about that role is I had been representing them in cases where they were defendants. But over time, the number of cases they had that were in litigation started to to be reduced. And so they had me come in both as litigator but also as an assistant general counsel. So I had the ability to not only go in and litigate after they had a problem, I had the ability to come in and help them proactively avoid getting in the lawsuits to begin with. And um you know it was it was a lot easier to be able to say when somebody said, I have this problem, this is what we're doing because I'd been with them in the litigation. I could say, okay, remember, remember last time we went down that road didn't work so well for us. So, so let's think about, you know, maybe doing it a little bit differently this time. And what I began to see is it wasn't that I didn't want to be in the law. I just didn't want to be a litigator. And I really enjoyed my in-house role more because it was more of a, a problem solver. And, you know, oftentimes I defended cases where we had, we were adverse to our own current employees. And I learned don't be aggressive because at the end of the day, that didn't serve the purpose because those employees were still going to be part of the agency and I needed to approach it in a different kind of way. So that's when I really started to realize that in-house was what I wanted to do. And um, that's that's where the in-house started and never go back. I'll never be a litigator again.
0: There's so much in what you've said there. Two things that kind of jump out at me was the kind of almost duality of you saying it was at that point in your life that you you realized you had to take more control of your work-life balance and put, it sounds like, more guardrails around your own time, which I think many, many lawyers struggle with. But at the same time as you doing that, you started, it sounds like, to really blossom in your career and make that final transition out of pure litigation ultimately in-house where you can be more proactive in how you work with the business. So it was kind of like, it was almost like there wasn't this kind of conflict between working maybe less and smarter and succeeding more. Is, is that a, yep. a fair assessment?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was a watershed moment for me when I moved over to the Kentucky Department of Education. That is when, you know, things all started to make sense to me and I knew what I needed to do and I knew how I needed to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 the thing I sometimes struggle with having maybe equally been guilty of working very long hours and being my own worst enemy when I was in kind of earliest days in the law firm working incredibly hard. The contradiction or the challenge I find is there's some truth to maybe you have to do that to build your experience base to facilitate the kind of later stage. I don't, do you have a th- any thoughts on that? Is it something you feel like you had to go through to get to where you are now?
1: Yeah, you know, that's really, uh, that's really tough. That That's a hard question. In retrospect, I'm glad that I did what I did, because I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't do what I did. But if there are people out there who can find an easier path, I'm certainly all in favor of it. But I don't know how I could have gotten where I was without doing what I did. But that's not to say, you know, I'm not a big fan of saying just because I did it this way, yeah. you have, do it this way you have to find your own way and I really do think I had to go through through some tough times and some hard knocks because that's what I needed to do in my development but not everybody has to or should do what I did because I think there is a way to get to where I got without doing what I did
0: I think that's that's equally true for myself I would say and one of the things you've obviously spoken about how it all started to make sense in-house and you were then kind of proactively preventing litigation and trying to find better outcomes with less, uh, less kind of aggressive approaches. But your progression to become ultimately a general counsel, what were the kind of key skills you had to develop in progressing to a GC? I suspect you already had a lot of the kind of leadership qualities from all of your time in the military, but but were there other key skills you had to develop in, in ultimately becoming a general counsel?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really feel like communication and learning how to build relationships and uh, developing relationships of trust. So that is a skill that I really worked hard on. I also worked on trying to see problems from all different perspectives and also recognizing and understanding that you don't have to do it all and that it's good to build a team and you don't always have to be large and in charge and the leader. Sometimes you could step back and sometimes you could ask the team to help you carry the burden together. And I really do think that a lot of the outcomes that I achieved, especially when I moved to Kentucky State University, when I became a general counsel in higher education, that became really apparent to me that having all of those different perspectives and skill sets just made us better and made our product better.
0: I think that is that kind of fundamental distinction for anybody who's who's kind of looking to progress into a more senior role is it's facilitating others to do great work or to kind of round out a team skill set rather than having to have all roads lead to yourself as the leader. I like that expression, you don't have to be large in charge. It's a good way of putting it. And your role then, when you joined Kentucky State University, how did it differ from your, your prior experiences?
1: I was in charge. It was the job I had before that was um, at the education professional standards board. And I was a general counsel. And I really, I didn't have a team. I didn't have a lot of people that I interacted with, you know, in far as a legal department goes. But when I moved to the Kentucky State University, it was at that point, um, the first thing my president told me to do is um, to build a team. And so I built that team and it was that team that really helped get me through a lot of challenging times.
0: And can you take me through when you're recruiting for an in-house team, what you're looking for in prospective candidates for, for roles?
1: Yeah, you know, that's that's a difficult question to answer because sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. Mm-hmm. And as hard as you work to find the right people, it is hard when you're just looking at resumes and going through interviews, sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith mm-hmm. and take the person that you think is going to be the best fit for your team. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that was fortunate with me is the people that I ended up hiring, every single one of them I had worked with previously. Mm -hmm. So when people say it's who you know, I used to think of that as being a bad thing. But part of the issue is wouldn't you rather hire a known quantity rather than an unknown quantity? So it's not just because you know that person that you hire that person, you know their work ethic, you know how they work, and you know what their skill set is. Mm-hmm. So I really do think that building your team with people that you know or who have been referred to you by other people who have worked with them. I think that that works well. It's not always going to work out. And I did have times where I've hired somebody and added them to the team and it has not worked out well. But for the most part, I think I was lucky in all of the people that came together on the team. And when I did interviews, I did not interview by myself. I mean, I interviewed everybody on the team, the paralegal, my deputy general counsel, whenever we um, needed to add anybody to the team. We did it together because I needed to make sure that that person was going to work well and fit in with those people I already had on place.
0: Such great advice, and you've recently joined Ohio Northern University as VP and General Counsel. What strategy are you looking to implement in your new role?
1: Yeah, so unlike uh, Kentucky State, I don't have the same type of legal team. But uh, what I have enjoyed here is the collaboration and the partnership with the other the other VPs, and I, I do have someone here at the university. I am working with who I think maybe eventually could do what I do. So I've I've got a mentor-mentee relationship with that person. And so I hope to build a relationship with her in the same way that I have built uh, the, the relationship I had with those people at Kentucky State.
0: And I'm curious, have you utilized legal technology in your in-house teams to date?
1: So legal technology, that is really tough. When you're in smaller departments, it's not like a big legal department where you go buy some kind of package, like maybe some kind of software to help manage cases or maybe something to oversee your billing with your outside counsel. I don't do that kind of thing. But what I think is interesting is, I have been a proponent of technology. and what I've tried to make people understand is that the technology is going to help us all do those things that we are all responsible for as a team. So at Kentucky State, the concept of a, a, a contract life cycle management system, part of the problem with being a champion for that legal te- or that technology is that they started assuming it was the legal technology. It was something the legal office owned that they managed and they were responsible for. And at least in a smaller institution, I don't think it's good for the institution to start believing that it is something owned by the legal office. It's part of a process. The legal is part of the process and it has to be shared and everybody has to buy into it. So I really struggle in smaller institutions to think of what legal technology is. I would rather just call it technology yeah. uh, because technology needs to be a shared tool that everybody knows and understand what it does, what your role is in it. And then we all work together to make the tool work to the benefit of the institutional organization.
0: I think that's such great advice. And certainly my ex- practical experience is the successful kind of adoption and usage of technology, as you said, benefits a multitude of different stakeholders within an organization or institution. And you need to ensure everybody is kind of bought into the value it's going to deliver in terms of automation, or greater visibility, or shortening sales, contracting times, or, or uh, improving cost control with outside counsel, whatever the case may be. But You really need to ensure everybody is kind of bought into the value it delivers and and understands that as part of the kind of adoption and usage of of the tool Um, so i think that's that's such great advice and i'm curious how important has has networking within the kind of broader in-house community been to you in your own journey
1: oh it's been huge And I've been really grateful and thankful for it. When you're in a law firm, and you get hired with other associates, you have kind of a group that you can bounce ideas off of, talk to commiserate with get advice from. But when you go in house, and especially when you go in house, and you're a general counsel, you don't have that same kind of camaraderie um, at your location. So I think it's really important to reach out and build relationships with other people regardless of industry who are also serving in a similar role and I have found doing that over the last three years I like to think it's been instrumental in in any success I've had it's been because I have built those relationships.
0: And it takes time, right, in terms of engaging in the online community on LinkedIn, for instance, that's a very intentional, going back, I imagine, to your kind of military discipline in, in, in engaging in a thoughtful way in those communities.
1: Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, so I really started probably in 2000, late 2019, early 2020, right before COVID starting to do it. And I really do believe that LinkedIn for lawyers looks so much different than it does today. Mm -hmm. And um, I do remember when I I sent LinkedIn requests for uh, invitations to connect, I had in-house counsel denying my request because they didn't know me. And so, you know, LinkedIn has that thing where if you send out too many connection requests and you keep getting those requests denied, they put you in like LinkedIn jail and all of a sudden you can't do anything. So yeah, I mean, at the very beginning, it was like lawyers were not comfortable on LinkedIn. They felt like they had to know you. They didn't want to post anything. And so, you know, I feel like I got out in front um, with some other people you know the nice thing now is i usually don't send connection requests because i get them it, it took some time and it's been a slow burn too i know other people who started when i started who have doubled the connections but to me it's always been um wanted it's quality over quantity and i wait for people connect with me because i want to know that they want to build a quality relationship so
0: well, I would certainly encourage anyone listening to the podcast to to follow Lisa. I, I think your candor and, and and thoughtfulness in your posts on life lessons on in house life are are fantastic. Uh, much like your insights today on the podcast, and and uh, I think you may have over fourteen thousand followers. Is, is that right at this stage? Yeah, so that is a serious a serious yeah,
1: almost,
0: yeah, almost, almost 15. fifteen. That is that is a remarkable following in the in the house community and. Um, Final question for me. Thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time. Final, final question for me was, what do you enjoy doing outside of work?
1: I'm new to my, my state of Ohio. So I'm, I'm trying to find hobbies. I do like to write, but I also, I, I do a lot of CrossFit hiking. So Trying to make sure you can't pour from an empty cup, so I try and take time to rest, relax, and recharge. And anything I can do outside is really, really helpful. And and things that I like to do.
0: I I couldn't agree more. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for for joining us today. It's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Incredible insights and lessons in in leadership, in in resilience, and your own journey. So thank you so much for sharing with us.
1: Well, thank you, thank you for having me.
0: I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by BrightFlag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at BrightLag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.